Well, it is an absolute privilege today to be speaking not only to our own beloved Catalyst Vineyard Church, but also to be speaking to a bunch of other vineyard churches within the vineyard family. And so a massive shout out to Carlisle Vineyard, the uh, the Fearon Massive. Uh, we love you guys. Also, Inverclyde Vineyard, Don and Abbey, the legendary yeah. Don and Abbey. Also, East Kilbride Vineyard, Joe and Nikki, uh, sending our love to you guys. Also, Falkirk Vineyard, the most remarkable McNinches. <laughs> we love you. Also, um, uh, Edinburgh Vineyard. Uh, ben and Kate Newman, you are absolutely, absolutely remarkable leaders and we love your church. Also, Inverness Vineyard. Thomas and, and Mary. Thomas Mary, we love you guys too. So let me just check on my list. I don't want to miss anyone out. Carlisle, Inverclyde, Edinburgh, East Kilbride, Falkirk and Inverness. That's them all. There you Good. Oh, thank goodness for that. Don't ever make a list. So anyway, I just wanted to say, first of all, just... It is a joy to be connected with all of you in family and to be on this adventure together. And we love you. We think your leaders are absolutely remarkable people. And um, thank you for the privilege of inviting me to speak to your church as well as ours. So this is the part of our time when we're going to open up the Bible together. And so if you've got a Bible with you, now is the moment to produce it. If you don't have a Bible, and there'll be lots of people who are watching this who don't because you're new to the faith or you're exploring faith or whatever, you can always download a Bible for absolutely free on the App Store or on the Google Play Store. So we'd recommend that you do that so you have your own Bible. You can even order one from Amazon, but you'd have to pay for that. And we are going to be reading a passage from Philippians chapter 3. So Paul's letter to the Philippians is about an inch and a quarter into the Bible and about four millimetres from the back. So metric or imperial, imperial or metric, there you go. Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read from verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking and he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's our text for today. That's where we're going to be learning from today. Uh, now, the truth is that we're all made differently, aren't we? And, and Taryn and I, my wife and I, we're very different. But in the, there's one particular area where actually we're quite similar, and that is we can't think straight if the room isn't straight, you know. So, so um, clutter just seems to prevent us from being able to think clearly. And so you might think that that would mean that our house is just, everything is just so. And to be honest, sometimes it does look like that from the outside, but I just want to reveal something about our real lives, which is that if you were to ever come to our house for anything, you would never ever see us in any circumstances opening a cupboard door. 
And the reason for that is because behind the cupboard doors, it's not, it's not that we don't want to open the cupboard doors. It's not that sometimes it wouldn't be useful to open a cupboard door when people are around, but behind the cupboard doors lies our family secret, which is that everything looks quite organized in front of the doors, but behind it's a shambles. And, or at least it was until recently. And actually what's happened over the last few weeks of lockdown is that Taryn has developed a new hobby. And that is that she take you know, just of an evening when she's got nothing else on, she'll open up a cupboard, she'll pull everything out, and then she'll sort it all out and make it all look beautiful behind the cupboards, which is, which is quite a thing. I mean, yeah, it's, it's lovely that she does that. I don't I have no idea why she does it, but that's just her. And one thing that was discovered is maybe last week is that behind one cupboard door, we had seven, count them seven, empty ketchup bottles. And, and it was like, why, why are people in this house putting empty ketchup bottles back into the cupboard? And so we called a bit of a family meeting uh, just over dinner and we said, why is everyone putting empty ketchup bottles back into the cupboard? And everybody said the same thing. They said, but you just don't know whether there might be more in there. You just don't know whether you might be able to get more out. You might be wondering what the point is of this story. The point is this there's more. That's what the Apostle Paul is telling us in this passage. He's telling us that there is more. There's more of himself, right? more of Jesus, more, more of his presence, more of his power. There's more for us. There's more for us as individuals. There's more for our churches. There's more for our movement. God is wanting to do more and to be more present in our lives. Now you might say, well, where on earth are you getting that from? You know, have you been watching those weirdos on YouTube like everyone else? No, I haven't been watching. No, I'm getting that from the Apostle Paul. Because if there was, if we were to think about Paul's life for a minute, you know, he's the one who's met Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus. He's been following Jesus by this point for something like 30 years. And he's, he's completed his three main missionary journeys. He's planted something like or been responsible for the planting of something like 20 churches. He's written a whole chunk of the New Testament by this point. And so if there was anyone in the universe almost who's ever existed who might be able to say, do you know what, in, in, in terms of following Jesus and knowing Jesus, I think by now I've pretty much got all of the ketchup out of the bottle. It would be the Apostle Paul. But in fact, he says the precise opposite of that. He says, verse 10, I just want to know Jesus more. I want to know him personally. I want to know his power. And then in verse 12, he says, I haven't received it all. I definitely haven't arrived. I know that there's more to come. And do you know what? If there's more for the Apostle Paul, there's certainly more for you and there's definitely more for me. There's more to come. There's more to come. There's more to receive from God's hand. The question is how? How could we receive more from God? That's the question that I think this passage answers or, the, or Paul's example, the example that he sets us 
is so instructive, so helpful for us. Let me first of all just say this. We recognize that it's never been easier than it is right now to slip into the back of a church and just have a, a look around. And I know that there'll be a bunch of people watching this who have, um, you're not sure if you're a Christian or you know you're not a Christian and you're kind of considering what that might be like. Do you know what? We all make loads and loads of decisions throughout the course of our lives. And probably the best decision that you could ever make would be to choose to commit your life to following Jesus. And the fruit of that decision is so remarkable, it's incredible. You know, peace, hope, joy, and a sense of, I know where I'm going when this life is done. A sense of purpose, uh, uh, you know, knowing your creator absolutely intimately and personally. I mean, it's a remarkable thing. And so later on, I'm going to make an opportunity for you. If you would like to become a Christian, commit your life to following Jesus, I'm going to make an opportunity for you. I want to let you know that now so you've got some time to think about it as we go on. So what do we learn from Paul about how we could receive more of Jesus, more of his presence and more of his power. The first thing we could do is we could live our lives. During this pandemic, we've been, as a church, kind of walking slowly through this letter to the Philippians week by week. And um, I don't think there's been a single passage that hasn't kind of come to life in a fresh way when we've realized that Paul's written it from lockdown. So he's either in prison or he's under extreme house arrest we know that he's in some kind of chains and but because it said it earlier on in the in the letter and so he's in lockdown and I found that so helpful suddenly everything is kind of seen in a different light but what I've come to realize through that journey is that Paul is not thinking in the way that I'm thinking during my lockdown because I can feel myself in my own lockdown kind of pushing things into the long grass you know I can feel myself thinking, um, do you know, when lockdown is finished, I'm going to fill in the blanks. Uh, I'm going to eat more healthily. I'm going to read more books. I'm going to address my work-life balance or whatever it is. I'm going to start swimming. You know, it's, it's like, uh, I can feel, it's, it's like somebody's pressed pause on my life and I'm waiting for them to press the play button so I can continue with all the things that I want to get done. Well, here is Paul. He's an older man by now, and he's already achieved so much. His ministry has been absolutely relentless for 30 years, preaching the gospel, planting churches, suffering all kinds of injustice and, and so on as a, as a result. But you would think by now, if he was like me, he would just be thinking, well, I'm in lockdown now. I'll just take a breath, a, a, a breath, Careful how you say that, uh, you know, and, and so, in fact, he is doing precisely the opposite of that. Verse 12, he's saying, I press on. Remember, he's writing this from lockdown. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Maybe this is a word that some people need to hear right now. And it's this. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Nobody has pressed pause on your life. Your, uh, 
you know, time is still marching on. Don't waste your life waiting for the pause button to be unpressed or the play button to be pressed or whatever it is. You know, if you're thinking, um, do you know, I, I, I want to tell my friends about Jesus. Once I've moved to a new city and I'm starting to plant a church, at that point, I'm going to communicate to all my friends, my neighbors, my work colleagues, my family that I love Jesus and I want to share Jesus with them. Don't wait until you're, you've done that. Do it right now. Or maybe, you know, like, don't, don't, don't wait until this lockdown ends before you start to plan and conspire and dream about what starting a new business might look like. Do it now. Don't wait until your circumstances have changed, but, uh, you know, don't wait until your income's increased, your house has got bigger, you, you've got a different car, you've uh, got married before you do the thing that you know God's asking you to do. Don't waste your life, live your life, do it now. That's Paul's example to us. That's the first thing. We could just live our lives. The second thing is we could train and strain. I, when I was at school as a teenager, I had a friend whose brother was an Olympic rower. And so me and all my friends, we, we were essentially trying to have as long a lie-in as possible at every opportunity, whereas uh, my friend's brother was the opposite. He was up at five o'clock every day. Like when I say every day, I mean bank holidays, weekends, uh, Christmas day, New Year's day, his birthday, every day, five o'clock up. And then once he was up, he was like in a boat on the water at six o'clock every day by six o'clock every day. And then, you know, he was often in the gym. Uh, uh, he was swimming. He was being absolutely meticulous about what he would eat. He was um, monitoring his sleep patterns, like the commitment, the dedication, the focus was incredible. And I don't know whether you've seen this, but, but as I've read Paul's letters, I've started to notice that here's someone who seems to use this um, image of an athlete as a, a, a description of what following Jesus ought to be like. It's really, really interesting. It may be because he spent some time in Corinth and Corinth was the home of the Ismian Games, the, the, the kind of biannual uh, uh, competition for athletes from all over the known world. And so maybe he's seen up close and personal these athletes and their absolute devotion and dedication to the cause and, and their, their incredible focus. And so you see, for example, at one point in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, there's boxing. And he's giving this illustration about, um, uh, he says, I don't fight like a boxer bo beating the air. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm taking this really seriously. Or in Ephesians chapter 6, there's wrestling. And he says, our struggle, our wrestle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. But most commonly, the image that he uses, the athletic picture is, is about running. And all the time he's talking about running the race. And here we have that in verse 13. He says, one thing I do. Notice the, the singular athletic focus. One thing I do, 
forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Hey, what an inspiring vision for a life well lived. You know, like imagine being able to say, like he was able to say in 2 Timothy chapter 4, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Imagine if we could get to the end of our lives knowing that we had used that athletic singular focus to commit ourselves to following Jesus, to being with Jesus. Imagine if we could get to the end of our lives and think, wow, what a a life of fruitfulness and impact because of those daily decisions. Let me ask you, what does a fresh commitment to following Jesus look like for you today? In your context, with your story, your history, what does it look like for you to say, I'm going to rededicate myself to following Jesus. I'm going to train and strain in that regard. What does that look like? Okay. The third one, the final one, the final thing we could do is we could each run our own races. Do you know, it's so easy to spend so much energy trying to run other people's races, wishing that we were somebody else, comparing ourselves to others and thinking, gosh, they're doing really well at running their race. If only I could run as well as they run. What I've noticed, which is really interesting is, actually there are loads of commands, encouragements in the Bible that are only possible to obey in the context of family, in the context of community. You know, people who say, I I don't really need the church to be a Christian. I always think, well, how is loving one another working out for you on your own? Or how is bearing one another's burdens working out for you? Or how is encourage one another daily working out for you on your own. It's difficult. There are loads of things in the Bible that we just need family for. But what I was so interested to notice about this particular passage is that Paul is really um, uh, uh, focusing on what he must do. Just notice all the eyes. He says, I want to know Christ. I press on. One thing I do. And then in verse 14, he says, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ. Interestingly, the word that's translated there as prize um, is the same word that's used for the garland that is given to every runner who's run their race well at the end of a race. So here is Paul saying, Do you know, I just want to get to the end of my, I want to run my race. I want to run in my lane. And then at the end, I want to receive my garland. He's not asking, he's not looking at anyone else's garlands. He's not trying to run anyone else's races. He's just staying in his lane. What a lesson for us. um, Carol Wimber 
who is the wife of the late John Wimber, who together really were the, the founders of our vineyard family. She last year wrote a new preface to the book that she'd written about her late husband, John. Uh, the book is called The Way It Was. And she wrote this new preface. And in it, she kind of, you, you can buy it on Amazon, but she, she kind of prophesies that God is doing something new in our day. Uh, and so much of what she's prophesied in that book and also in the interview that was recorded last summer as well that some of you will have seen, so much of it is, seems to be coming true, this huge global event you know, that's, that's, that's huge and terrible, terrible, but also in the midst of it, God is doing something. But just listen to what she says specifically about this idea of running your own race in your own lane in that uh, preface. She says this, our king wants everyone in their appointed place, all hands on deck. The gift and call of God are irrevocable. No one else can take your place. We're not designed by God to be interchangeable like tiles. He's made each one of us unique, like a puzzle piece. It must be you, yourself, in the place you were created for. No one else will do. They just love it. There's more for us. There's more for us individually. There's more for us in our churches. And there's more for us as a movement but each one of us must take our own place and run our own race. Let's pray, shall we?